How can you do all that needs done in life and still pursue your desire to learn French or the guitar or grow a plant or make art? You can't put a fiddle under your pillow and wake up playing it, though how cool would that be? But one thing we can do, no matter how chaotic and overwhelming life can be, is know that every tiny small motion in the direction of those endeavors really do matter. And not only that, they add up over time with great momentum. Join me, Annie Fane Barillon, as I interview painters and gardeners, designers and musicians, photographers and cooks, creative livers of any kind, who have somehow, in the middle of it all, continued on their creative paths, no matter what. This is Fane House Radio, and I'm so glad you're here. My name is Georgia, and I live in Asheville, North Carolina. I would say the main creative endeavors of my life, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, but I think of myself as a writer. That's like the oldest thing for me, the oldest creative part of my life. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, but I think being a reader is also a creative identity that I have. I would say writer and then reader. And then I would say artist and then art. And then I'm also training to be a therapist. And I feel like that has surprised me by being a creative endeavor that kind of holds all of it. You also have a big love for nature. That's something we've bond over. And you have some mandolin in there and some singing in there mm-hmm. as things that you've liked. Well, totally. I I did think about this part too was, I think this is something that a lot of people say and that is a general idea in our culture that that doesn't actually get implemented that much or that people have a hard time actually practicing, including myself. But I do think that a creative endeavor, like I consider like, taking a walk around my yard totally would be a creative endeavor. And I think there's these berries at my, (laughs) at my house. I don't know what they are. They're like little matte colored, like they're very matte. They're not shiny and they're like dark blue, black, and they're just like a weed. And um, sometimes I go out in the yard and I get some, and then I put it in my house. And I, I think on like goop and like, um, Martha Stewart and all that stuff. Like, I think that's a common idea of like, just have, have these little ways of being creative or artistic, but I do think that's real. And I think it's a real challenge to actually change our thinking, to think about it that way. Like where, when I go in the walk around my yard, if I have a certain quality of attention and a certain presence in my body with an experience, then that, that I think very much that is a creative thing. Yeah. So it's like point of view of how you can see everything in a way, including your clothes that you choose and Mm -hmm. going camping and looking at the sunset, et cetera, cooking. Totally. Because, and I think that's related to the, to the idea of like, I don't really see myself as a writer apart from reading what other people write. I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot there's me trying to make paintings, but then there's also like all the paintings I love or like all the art I love. And I feel like those things aren't separate. So it's like, and it's the same with like walking around the yard or like going camping. Like that's not really, that's not really separate from the experience of being a creative person. 
we first met at Penland School of Crafts and it was awesome and it was amazing. And we were both there for book arts. So handmade books, handmade paper and all that stuff. Time passed and then you studied more like encaustic, et cetera, et cetera. And then I ended up doing more painting, not that books went away. And then we've had a few shows together with like art on the wall for sale and that uh -huh. kind of thing. And then, you know, we're talking about the mandolin or reading other people's work or strumming on instruments together. What do you think about the difference between putting something on the wall and I mean, just in your life, why mm -hmm. some things go on the wall and like, yeah, let's have a show. And then why some things were like, no, it's just I feel good doing it and I don't need to go on a stage or go. Do you feel like that our own? Our I mean, <laughs> I think that's I think that's really at the heart of a lot of this. It's really hard to talk about this without talking about capitalism and that we don't <laughs> want to spend your we don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about that and also like I'm not a political scientist so like I don't or an economist or whatever I think our culture where to be a real artist um, means you get paid to do that and I am very supportive of people making a living from their art I, I it makes me fills me with joy that people would be able to do that and I think part of the division between what goes on the wall and what's just for us. I think a lot of that has to do with how we're taught in our culture to think about what has value um, or what, what has worth. And it's like, I don't even think, I, I'm not, I don't even know, know that I would call myself anti-capitalist because I don't even know. I don't know. I don't know what will work. But <laughs> what I do, what I do think is that part of our job, I'd say part of my job as an artist or a creative person has been to learn to think differently about what is enough that's part of why i feel like kind of you know kind of like obsessed with minimalism right i'm yeah. not a minimalist but i feel obsessed with it because i feel like it's very bold and revolutionary to be like no i don't need all the stuff you're telling me i need this is enough and i feel like there's an artistic component to, there's a part of that in my process of becoming an artist so like i guess i think ideally there's not really a difference I think there is one in the sense that it's okay to make a living from your art and to do what you need to do to do that. But I feel like retraining ourselves to realize that when we have, like when I hang something up on the wall, like there's so much that went into that. For a long time, I think I had a fantasy that I would just like make this art. Like I would just make this body of work. But I think now I think of it as like all of those small moments add up to that. And really when I think about it in like a Buddhist perspective, it's not different. It's not different than like when you, when you have 10 minutes of your time and you scribble on a paper and then you end up throwing it away. Like that's, it's, it's easy to pay lip service to this, but I truly think it's, it's true, which is like, that's part of it. Yeah. Like totally. that's part of how anything <laughs> ends up on the wall. But we're not taught, and the point of the whole capitalistic culture thing is we're not taught that. Like people give lip service to like process over product, but we don't really. Yeah, we're not we're not really encouraged to think that way. We're encouraged to think about product. One thing we've talked a lot about in the past was the struggle of like we had other jobs 
to pay the bills and then we would dream of making art all day and then we would go home and be like uh and then not do it like something was too big about it or overwhelming or just getting started what are your thoughts about how you felt about that then and now i think one way to talk about this is i think we have often have internal and external obstacles to getting what we want in life right so like I think for me, primarily my obstacles in my adult life have been internal. There was a time in my life, didn't have kids. I didn't necessarily have a partner that I was committed to. And my job was not very demanding or it was demanding in the moment, but I could leave it there like restaurant life. But I think I had a lot of internal obstacles and that's like a whole nother podcast is like, what, (laughs) what are those? Like, why is it hard sometimes? But I think now you and I've talked about how like we both have a lot of external obstacles, like a full-time job, being in school, having kids, um, supporting your family. Somebody has to make dinner, just the reality of life. I do think part of it, this is kind of what I said before, but I do think part of it has been changing the way I think about creativity and changing the way I think about what is good enough or what is enough. So like I have 30 minutes of time a week alone in my house, 30 minutes a week. It's every Friday morning from eight to eight 30 when my partner takes our kids back to their mom's house. And for a while I had these like grand plans, about like what I was going to do with 30 minutes. Oh, I can get, if I meditate for 10 minutes, then I'll still have 20 minutes and I can write. I'll write for 20 minutes. It just didn't work for me because it's something else I have to, it's like a, it felt restrictive or something. And I just rebelled against it every time. So now I hold that little time in my mind, but I don't really plan for it. But I've decided to start thinking about those moments as part of the whole process. So like, for example, sometimes I just pick a song and then I listen to it. And sometimes I move around, but I wouldn't even (laughs) say like I dance because then it would be like, well, I have to dance every Friday morning. And and then I would be like, I'm not doing that. Uh, But I do think just the sound of my voice in the empty house, I'm just like, it sounds, sometimes I give myself chills. I'll just sing a little bit, but it's not because my voice is good. It's because like, it's just life energy, a moment of life energy. And I do think that's what I mean when I'm like, I've had to think differently about creativity. It's like, instead of a product, it's like life energy that I, I can either follow or not follow, but doesn't have much to do with what I make out of it. It's almost like in a way, those little things that plain and simply just make us feel good are totally worthy. And that that good feeling helps us kind of relax and see better. And then one day when we do have those more than a half an hour to make art, it's been built up, our resilience has been built up or our good feelings or whatever. I know self-care gets thrown around as a term all the time and we know that's important, but I like the idea of you singing in the house for a split minute being part of the whole creative process because it's all part of feeling good and when we feel good, we can like see more clearly and create more clearly. Yes, it. Re- I really truly believe it counts, but I don't think that, that that belief didn't come naturally to me. I had to work at it to, to realize that I felt like I was starving, you know, cause I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make, like, I remember, I remember going to the moment in New York city and seeing um, one of my favorite artists, Cy Twombly 
his season's paintings, right? Like, I, I don't remember how tall they really are. When I think of them, I think of them as like taller than a house. And they're just like covered in paint. And I remember being like, I want to make that. But meanwhile, I was like starving because I can't do that's not possible. Like that's impossible. So I just felt. Yeah. So these little moments actually start to add up like the little moments of like creative energy. I think about it like one more metaphor would be like now that I'm in grad school, I have to write papers. So when I have a paper to write, you know, sometimes I'll go to the like online research library and I'll just dig around, right? Like kind of digging around and I'll make notes. I'll read like never whole articles, but I'll just read like synopses or like little snippets. And for a while I felt, I felt guilty. Like I was like, oh, I'm not really working. That's not enough. Like I, now I need to do it. But I, I was worried that I was procrastinating, but I, I've started to rethink that. Cause I think all of those like little notes that I make during that process are part of the process of yeah. figuring out what I'm thinking and stuff. So I think it's the same with like, if you drive to the bank and you have 15 minutes and you catch a tiny bit of somebody on fresh air, it sparks something in you. Like you don't have yeah. to hold on to that or make anything out of it for it to be, maybe it'll influence your work directly, but maybe we know it probably will indirectly. So it's almost a some theme of what you're saying is like the practicing of not judging ourselves, even in the tiny moments or any moment. Yes. And also actively being like, this is good enough. Like yeah. this is good enough for today. Recognizing that like, if you're building a business as an artist, uh, eventually you'll have, to, you might need to make bigger steps than that. But knowing that like, there is no real there's no real evidence that like people just take big steps. Like that's not really how it seems to work. Yeah. No matter how it looks on the other side of social media, et cetera. Oh man. Yeah. Well, yeah. a little connected to this is when you do feel stuck, whether emotionally, personally, or creatively, what do you do to get yourself unstuck? Oh, I mean, I've felt stuck so much. That's a familiar feeling. I think like I remember coming to visit you in France when Jules was born, yeah. like your older son, he was six months old. And I remember I brought you like a Lee Smith novel because I didn't understand yet. Well, I was very thankful for it. <laughs> well, I'm sure you were because you're a generous person, but what I didn't, I didn't understand yet that like, that's not what you can really manage when you have a six month old baby. <laughs> you're not really going to be like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this 400 page novel with very dense language. <laughs> now I know better, but, um, but I think it's like what, you know, I, I like to set myself up to have a few things that come in that I know are coming in. And those are kind of, those kind of are nourishing. So like maybe a feeling of stuckness would be a time where you might, where for me, I might focus more on, um, taking in other people's art instead of just it always being about producing something. So like, for example, we talked about how I have like all these little emails that I subscribe to and they're little morsels of nourishment. Yeah. So like one of my favorites is the Paris review daily poem. So I sub signed up for their newsletter. It's totally free. And they send me a poem a day. 
and I read it. And sometimes I cry. Sometimes I don't care about it. Sometimes it makes me boohoo. Sometimes I take a screenshot and save it so yeah. I can read it later. Cause it's so good. And it's almost like little oracles, like a tarot card or something like you draw a card every day, but some, you know, what? I don't even have to draw it. Somebody sends it to me in my email. Automated Oracle. Yes. And like I subscribe to Pema Children's website. They send, she sends like twice a week, a little snippet. Here's something to think about. No matter how bad you feel, you're yeah. fine <laughs> or whatever. And I think those, those work for me. I don't think they would necessarily work for everybody, but I think remembering that it counts to take in like the things that other people have created that's like, that's part of the exchange, right? Like if you, if you make these paintings and part of what you are up to is being aware that what you're putting out there might bring a certain experience or a certain feeling in people, right? Like you have people write to you and be like, ah, I feel this way when I look at your painting. Like I feel something, I feel peaceful or I feel like the mystery is beautiful or whatever. Like those are things I would feel when I look at your paintings. Sometimes it's, it's our, it's enough for us to be on that end. Remember I told you, I don't remember the name of the person, but the, the quote, I wish I always thought I wanted to be a poet, but actually I wanted to be the poem. So good. Yeah. And that was a very tiny, short moment listening to a podcast, driving to Asheville and it just hit me so hard. I pulled over. I remember telling you about it. And that just comes back and comes back and comes back. And that's something someone else created that just means so much to me. And I've never met this person, you know, like, I don't think they're even alive anymore. And it, it was like digestible and rememberable and spoke to me right in that second. And when we're making art, it doesn't mean we know we're going to speak to someone. We just have to go with our own gut and see what happens. But it is very fun, the exchange of the inspired feelings, exchanging without knowing we're exchanging. It makes me think of like, I don't want to digress too far, but in, in Freudian terms, yeah. So this is one thing I think about a lot because of uh, being in school, but I'm probably going to botch this because I'm not an expert yet, but Freud, like one of the things Freud talked about was the libido, right? So the libido, we think of it now as like sex drive, but actually it's more of like um, the energy of the instincts that we have. Um, to move toward life, like toward into life. And in particular toward the things that are like, could be described as love related. So that includes our self-love, um, our, the people we love in our lives, uh, love for humanity in general. Um, but it also is like love for certain ideas. So, or even certain objects like sacred objects. So I think about that because that has, sort of helped me understand what I'm, what I mean by feeling stuck or even by creativity in general, right? Like it's like a life force. So there's a lot that goes into that. It's not yeah. just about something you make. It's like, um, do you know, you know, when you like feel, feel that feeling of like an impulse coming up, right? Like you're like, mm, if I was in my studio, I would, or like, I want to, even like the be a pawn thing, like, right. Like you feel a feeling of lifeness <laughs> and yeah. you want to go with it. And I think there's lots of reasons that we get stuck. And again, like some of them are internal, some of them are external, like you still got to go to work. 
you got to get back in your car after you pulled over and then you got to go on to work or take the kids to the dentist or whatever. But that helps me understand how much can like the idea of libido or like a life force um, helps me think about all the things that really are creative. Like that's the heart of creativity is like being able to follow your impulses where they lead. I think it reminds me of like every spring we talk about how like the spring or the summer is so beautiful and we wish we could just be in it. And then we feel almost like pressure to enjoy it to its ultimate. And then it's so hard, but there's this feeling of like, we want to kind of swim in it or dive in it or like be in it. That's not the same as like watching it and being like, Oh, it's a nice day. And how, how, what to do, what to do with that. That's kind of connected to the feeling you're talking about. Yes. I mean, I think that's it. There's like, there's like these, you know, you're, you walk out, it's spring, like the mountains, like the sounds of the birds, like you said, and then you're like, what am I going to do with this? Right. Like, what do I do? And it's like, you kind of just, you kind of have to learn to just like, yeah, <laughs> let it, right? Like sometimes you will do something with it, like make a garden or make a painting or whatever, or take a picture or whatever. But like, that's just life force of like, yeah, like I want to be this poem. I will say that um, on a more practical note, one of the things that I love to do when I feel stuck is purge. One of the most creative things I think I ever did in my life was KonMari, my apartment. And I know there's people have a lot to say about KonMari and like uh, Marie Kondo and all that stuff. But for me, it was like profoundly creative. I thought yeah. to, to really it just produced, like, it just brought up all these feelings of like boldness and it made me feel more attentive and more like interested in my stuff. It made me remember, it made me feel a rush of energy to like, to think that I didn't have to like keep this tablecloth. So I do think that's something that I do regularly when I feel like stuck is when it feels too like kind of heavy or tent or dense to like make something it's mm -hmm. like getting rid of stuff really helps for me mm -hmm. yeah i've benefited from some of those purges you're talking about <laughs> i have that tablecloth you're talking about still <laughs> we use it for picnics just so you know you know you already know part of what i'm so curious about in talking to people is the idea of all the small bits matter you know mm -hmm. and then also how do we you know, we're adults and we have life and responsibilities and how do we keep creating no matter what? How do we create in the middle of, of the chaos, basically? Do you have some tips or tricks? Because I know it's challenging for every human. Like humans love, we love having our hands in things, you know, and then sometimes we get squashed by, like you're saying, there's school and kids and all these things. Yeah. Shifting our idea of what counts is a big part of that, I think. I think on a more sort of like steps to take perspective, I mean, I think about what you've done. If you are in a position to be able to, to in any way overlap your creative life with a feeling of jobness, I think that helps. So I just say that to point out, like, I really, I, I really am, inspired by what you've done to be like, I'm going to like slowly over time, you've done a lot of steps to like make it possible for yourself. And it took a long time. You had to build a studio. You had to like, there were just, 
but that takes a long time. Like it wasn't like you just did it all in a month or even a year or even five years or even 10 years. One thing that's helped me feel more creatively fulfilled is to begin to start a career that feels creative in nature. I think that's what helped me feel like there are creative opportunities in the rest of my life. However, I would say that said, one of my favorite authors, George Saunders, he talks a lot about like how he, he wrote medical textbooks for years, right? That was his job, his nine to five job. And he loved it. And he preferred it that way because there was a separation of church and state, so to speak. Totally. Like his, his time was his own, like his creative time was belonged to nobody else even in his mind. So I think there's a lot to be said. I don't really have a great answer other than changing how I thought about creative acts. But I guess I brought up the other the other aspect because if you are really, if you have a certain thing in mind that you wanna make, then there will have to be time put aside for that. And I know how hard that can be. Yeah, like you feel called and then it's a project that's going to take hours and you like fall in love with it and you, you know, wish so badly to be have the time and space to be obsessed with it and finish it and be into it and not talk and not be interrupted and everything. And with life with kids, sometimes it can work. We can organize things, you know, and sometimes not as much, especially pandemic moments, you know, but it's such a cool feeling. I love that feeling. And um, one thing that's been painful for me in trying to like get comfortable with kids and family life was just that they're simply that there were always people around all the time. And so I'm still working on that, but yeah, it's almost like we've both had to um, go from, it's like we had to learn we go from the single life to family life and we just have to learn how we just have to learn how <laughs> we just have to learn how. And we also yeah. like, yes, I think, I think practically speaking, like I I was talking to a person in my life recently about this. One of the things that's helped me is to quit drinking Um, because what it allows me to do, I go to bed when the kids go to bed. So I go to bed sometimes at 8.30 and I wake up, I'll wake up as early as like 4.45 or five because then I've got maybe two solid hours before the kids get up. And that truly is helpful. And this other person I brought up because uh, she's in getting her doctorate. And so, but she has two kids and like a thriving psychotherapy practice and a husband and like other stuff. And she does that. And I don't think everybody has to quit drinking to do that. I did. Yeah. Well, things like that take space. And so it's sort of like, which one do we, which space are we choosing kind of? you know? Yes. I think that's a really good way to think about it. Like there's a neuroscientist named Sam Harris. He's awesome. And he has like a meditation app that I use that costs money, but if you email him, he'll give it to you for free. Uh, but he talks about how one of the things that are, we like to say in our culture these days is how time is more valuable than money, right? So it's like your time is the most valuable resource you have. And he had this whole podcast where he was like, no, it's not time because time will pass whether you're, no matter what you're doing. If I'm like watching TV, which I'm not against by the way, but if I'm watching TV or cooking or like, no matter what I'm doing, 
the time is going to pass. But what our true most valuable resource is, is like attention. So like, what do we spend our attention on? Because that's something that we have a control over, but we don't really have control over time passing. The way you said it was really good too, was like, it takes up space or like, it takes up my attention. It takes up this valuable resource that I just didn't. Yeah, it took too much. Well, I'm curious your thoughts, especially in your studies right now and becoming a therapist and all of that exciting stuff. What are your thoughts about creativity and mental health? I, I kind of think for me personally, and I don't think this is at all, I think this is particular to me and I wouldn't ever claim that any other member of the psychotherapeutic community would ever think this, but I kind of feel like art is what is what we heal for. I just think there's nothing better, but I myself have had a lot of obstacles, primarily internal to living creatively and to creating the things that I want. And I think that psychotherapy has been helpful for me because I think for me, it never worked for me to be like, just do it. What's the big deal? And I think that that approach is helpful for a lot of people to just be like, don't be, don't worry about it. Just do it. But like, there was something more than that for me that was like really stopping me. And I think it has to do with that, like holding back that life energy. Like it was so, I was so protected that I just, it couldn't, it couldn't go out, you know, but I, so I think my perspective as a therapist in training is that art is one of the things that we take the risk of like personal growth so that we can pursue. That's how I see it. (laughs) Now that's not to say that I think that artists are healthier mentally. I don't, it doesn't work the opposite direction, but I guess what I mean is like art is one of the great reasons to be alive for me. I can consider a lot to be encapsulated when I say art, but I think art is like a way we give meaning to our lives. It's a way we like express that meaning and understand it. Um, and we even express like our fear that there is no meaning from through that. Right. And it can hold everything. It can hold everything. Like it's just the best thing because it holds it, it. It's everything. It holds everything. It allows for everything. I do think that there are a lot of therapists who, who would also say that art is one of the ways that we heal. So it could be probably, the chicken or the egg or yeah. a loop or something. I think I would, I don't know that there's two camps. I just made that up, but I think that my (laughs) camp is, um, is because it's probably closer to my experience is that we have internal obstacles that have to do with our upbringing, our genetics, our environment, our culture, like everything, you know, all the stuff that combines to create our lives. Like all of that turns into some internal obstacles obstacles to like really like really following our impulses like our life force impulses so for me like art was a real motivator the the share like the sharing of art sending it out and then also being able to receive it like I think that was a motivator for me um and to understand myself better but I do think that a lot of people do that through art like I don't think you have to go to therapy to do that but therapy has been helpful for me to understand what what's in the way of me getting what I want. You know, one thing that we both admit that we really like in terms of getting ourselves inspired, like we're talking about when we're stuck and getting unstuck, 
one thing that helps me is to be like, okay, I have a cup. It's my little inspiration cup and it needs filling up <laughs> and it's so fun, right? It could be all different kinds of things. And um, some of it is like a great new book someone's told us about or um, sort of like the pages and magazines we've talked about where it has somebody's favorite things and it's all laid out beautifully and it has their favorite pair of jeans, their favorite oh. <laughs> whatever, wine they love, their favorite whatever, the paintbrushes they paint with or, and it's all laid out oh. and it, those are so fun. Um, and I'm just curious, um, you know, because that's another, just like you're saying, going to bed early or stopping drinking, those kind of practical things, making space, knowing what we want to focus on. And mm -hmm. all of it just sounds simple, but it's not simple. But that's one little thing that I like to do if I feel stuck. That's one reason I love magazines and things. Not any magazine, certain ones, you know. The right magazine. Yeah, yeah, the right ones. Is there a maker, musician, podcaster, item, artist that you're loving right now that kind of fills up your inspiration cup that we can, we should go check out? Oh, this is such a good question. I mean, it is so personal that I don't, I, it's always like, <laughs> it's hard for me to just like, be like, go here. Cause I'm like, well, maybe it won't work for you. But um, yes. So like podcasts that I know you and I have talked about, like on being is one of my favorite ones, it fills me up. Yeah. And they now, uh, if you go to the on being website, there's now several podcasts that are done through the on being conglomerate or whatever there's on being, but then there's also one called becoming wise. And those are shorter because not everybody can have an hour to listen. They're like usually five to 10 minutes. And it'll be like Brene Brown has a few things to say. Alain de Botton has a few things to say, and there's shorter versions. So nice. that's really helpful. There's also a podcast on that same site through on being called this movie changed me it's fantastic it's just people talking <laughs> about movies they like that's awesome. makes me cry i mean i don't yeah. even need to watch the movie like it's just totally it's just like hearing these people who are mostly people who are well known they're like thinkers or makers or like social activists or whatever and like just them being like i watched this steve carell movie and it made me cry and I loved it. It's just really, it, it, it helps keep that idea going that like the, the life force can just move through you and then go right on. Like you don't yeah. have to figure everything out every time. Anyway, that I also, like I said, I subscribe to a lot of emails. I subscribe to the daily poem emails. I subscribe to Pema children's email. I subscribe to the Enneagram email, which reminds me every single morning not to share my feelings every time I have them with everyone. <laughs> Seriously, we'll say that. It'll be like, hey there, have you ever considered not sharing every feeling that comes <laughs> into your head? Try it today. See what happens. Also, there are some newsletters that go out that I like. One is Austin Cleon. He's an, a writer in Austin, Texas. He sends a newsletter every Friday that's just a list of 10 things he thought were worth sharing. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's artists, sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it'll just be like an, a picture that he's found on the internet. But I'll just click right through those. I mean, it'll take me like three minutes and I feel like, oh, the world. Another one is uh, Laura Olin, I think is her name. I can never remember because she doesn't put it in an obvious place. But Laura Olin, she's a writer and artist. Um, she sends out a newsletter every Thursday that's basically like, here's a poem. So I do that a lot. Um, I was telling you before we started the podcast that there's a lifestyle blogger 
I don't actually know her name, but the name of her blog is called Cup of Joe, J-O. And I don't read much on it, but I will tell you she has like home tours. So it's like people submit photos of their homes and tell a story about them yeah. and tell stories about the objects. It's not really for you to buy the objects. It's for you to like, for people to share, like you're saying the stories of this is my favorite like dish or whatever, yeah. <laughs> or here's a painting I drew of my son or, or made of my son. Um, and I find it so inspiring. Well, all those are like human connection inspiring things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yes. And I think uh, you can't really under underestimate like the just going outside also. And I would say that also, oh, this one, I brought this to show you. This is a new one I have. The Book of Delights by Gay. Ross Gay. He's an amazing poet um, and he wrote this book that he, it took him like a year to write. He just wrote a poem a day about stuff he noticed. There's a great interview with him on On Being. And also I'll try to practice like just opening this book and reading. <laughs> I don't even read a whole page. I don't even read this whole thing. I'll just read like one sentence. Yeah. That's enough. And being like, no, that's enough. I don't need more. Like here's my, here's my Mary Oliver book of essays. And I will truly just be like, just read this sentence. Don't read the whole essay. It's too much. It's too yep. much. So you agree that the little bits matter. Yeah. I, I honestly can almost feel like there are no, there's nothing else. Like, I think that our social media culture in, encourages us to think that everybody takes these magnificent steps. And I think that that is maybe sometimes true, but I don't think that's usually true. I think we don't see the, many, many years that people have been working and also failing and the years that people have been parenting or taking care of themselves or someone else who's sick in their family, or that, that we haven't seen like the hours they spent at the doctor, the hours they spent at the mechanic. Like it just, yeah, <laughs> we see them, we see them having an art show and it's incredible. It just, I don't, I just think that there's, I don't honestly think there's really any other way. It's our only option. It's the only, it's really the it's only. all we got. Well, I love, <laughs> you already know, I love talking to you because we can talk for hours and we have talked. It would be cool to know how many hours we've actually talked in our lives <laughs> together. Maybe they make an app for that. <laughs> yeah, probably to the moon and back. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I, it's been a total honor and pleasure. Um, it's so wonderful to get to see your studio behind you. And I love seeing these pictures that I remember seeing 20 years ago that have continued to be an inspiration in your life. Uh, I think that's a really important to remember. Like you've definitely modeled that for me. It's like these taking these things that are, have meaning for us and putting them back there. You're right. Those, we all have different talismans or touchstones that just make yep. us feel good that we should surround ourselves with whether being minimal or not. And um, yeah, you're totally right. They're right there. I've been carrying those images around for years and they make me feel so good. I love them. Yep. So, um, well, until next time. Thanks for chatting with me. Yes, man. Thank you. If you would like to be in touch or have someone you would love to hear interviewed, email me at afainhouse at gmail.com. 
I also hope that you're inspired to subscribe to this podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. If you would like to watch these interviews in video form and are curious about the happenings of my little business called Fane House, where I paint and make art prints and gift cards for my watercolor originals, I'd love for you to sign up for my email list. When you do, you'll get a coupon for 10% off a one-time purchase in my Etsy shop and first dibs on my annual limited edition calendar printing. You'll also be granted access to our free private Facebook group, which is the one spot you can watch these interviews. If that all sounds fun to you, go to your web browser and type bit.ly backslash Fainhouse to sign up. That's with a capital F and a capital H in Fainhouse. This is not a weekly newsletter, but rather a list of folks who are interested in hearing from me time to time. I'm Annie Fain Barillon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll leave you with a quote for the day. Still, what I want in my life is to be willing to be dazzled, to cast aside the weight of facts, and maybe even to float a little above this difficult world. I want to believe I am looking into the white fire of a great mystery. I want to believe that the imperfections are nothing, that the light is everything. Mary Oliver, The Ponds. Thank you.